Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee Clash Crew Mr. Robot episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And this week, we try to defrag episode 405, Method Not Allowed. Dom has an unhappy Christmas. Krista prepares for a date. Darlene and Elliot perform a daring infiltration. IMDb is giving this a 9.8 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. Woo! That is the highest IMDb rating for the season just behind... The premiere 401, which got a 9.6. The critics are saying this was a kinetic episode that evacuated most of the usual things we love about the series and focused instead on raw action to winning effect. You don't have to speak, Mr. Robot. We know just what you're saying. Ooh, clever. (laughs) But there were some other thoughts about the main points of this episode in different critics' review that I just wanted to touch on before we get into the episode proper. The first and most standout thing, of course, was that this was essentially a dialogue-free episode. We had one opening line at the top and one closing line at the end. And then throughout the rest of the time, we had other forms of communication, let's say. No talking. So the New York Times says... This fifth installment is an attention-getting feat from the filmmaker, who is no stranger to such stunts. Seeing just how Esmail will wriggle around the no-dialogue rule adds another layer of suspense. In fact, it took a while to realize there was another absence here. Mr. Robot. It stands to reason Mr. Robot exists solely through internal dialogue with Elliot. He's like an escape hatch for him. As long as he's around, there's always an alternative approach for Elliot to take for any problem. All he needs to do is step back and let Mr. Robot do his thing. Without that plan B personality hanging around, all the pressure falls squarely on Elliot's shoulders. His leap over the side to safety mirrors the time Mr. Robot's persona pushed him, quote unquote, mm-hmm. off a boardwalk at Coney Island to the hard sand below. Even when Mr. Robot isn't around, his influence is felt. Now, I agree. It actually took me a while to realize There was no dialogue in this episode. Me too. I was so enthralled in what was going on. It was probably midway through the episode where I realized they were intentionally not speaking. And I think the reason why we didn't pick up on it is when you're doing the heist, it would make sense. Don't talk. We don't want to be heard. Absolutely. But seeing the other scenes, which sometimes begged for dialogue, didn't necessarily work. That's when I started to feel it. Yeah. In fact, I think Vulture said it well. They said, while it's amazing between Elliot and Darlene, it makes total sense. We'll read about what brought Esmail to that conclusion. It doesn't serve other storylines as well. Crime scenes, police stations, Christmas Day celebrations. These are settings where people aren't typically silent. I understand why they can't speak for the purpose of the episode, and I'm willing to suspend disbelief but it throws the gimmick into a belabored register. It would have been more believable if Esmail relegated the conceit to Elliot and Darlene's scenes. I think that I agree. That's where it makes sense following the plot line, both from an action point of view, this heist, this hack they're trying to pull off, requires them to be quiet, as well as emotionally what's happening between the two of them. It doesn't feel as seamless for the other characters. I don't see from a narrative point of view or a character arc point of view why they would need to be quiet. So that's where it winds up feeling a little gimmicky, like we had to force it to make the whole episode silent. Why not just have it be between the two of them? Scenes where you don't talk. I totally agree with you. 
a few things. One, I don't like the word gimmicky. Only because Sam Esmail has the gall to get creative, to try things. Mm -hmm. And I want creators to feel like they can. Sometimes you miss, sometimes you hit, but not fully. And that's what I think this is. I do agree with you. The, The scenes with Dom, especially at home for Christmas, during the police scenes, it really felt awkward to the point where we didn't even know if Dom was doing her job. Yeah, I was saying to myself, what is going on here? Wasn't she supposed to get intel about this crime scene, ID the body? It appears as though she literally just takes one lap walking through, and I'm sure there was more to it than that, but because we didn't see that and we weren't told otherwise, I actually thought to myself, maybe she's deciding not to go through with this. Yeah, we were wondering that. Then she's in a police station where there's tons of people. And yes, she's also trying to pull off her own little hack. Mm -hmm. So trying to be discreet. But it felt awkward. It felt pushed because, okay, this is the dialogue-free episode. When I say gimmick, I don't even necessarily mean a bad thing. Maybe that's too negative of a connotation. I agree that I love when a creator does something artsy and different. We have spoken about this multiple times before. Just last episode, we talked about the one-shot, the 80s sitcom episode. 90s. 80s, 90s, (laughs) yeah. And the spooky one that we got just last time in 404, I think trying to do something new and original is fantastic. Now, this isn't necessarily new and original. There have been plenty of TV and movies that have gone for the no talking thing. Yeah, they've played on it for sure. I mean, Magicians last season, or was it the season before? They had, it wasn't the entire episode, but they had a long scene where we were getting it from the character who is deaf, which was amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Listen, while I agree with you, I also think it would be less impactful if he just kept it to the two characters. Hmm. Because we wouldn't have picked up on it. It makes sense that they're not talking until uh, because of the heist, you know? At the same time... Okay, that being said, did we need the other characters and the other scenes at all? Could it have just been an Elliot and Darlene no talking episode? Well, I think we do because of next episode... And we'll talk about that later with Dom. It had to position Dom in that point. uh, Perhaps. I think we've wasted a little bit of time with Dom. Last episode in this, why not have all of this stuff occur for Dom last episode and cut her out this time? It felt weird how little they sprinkled her in and it didn't seem to progress things a lot. If you're going to say we're setting up the Vera thing, we've been setting up the Vera thing for quite some time now. I just don't know that that stuff was completely necessary. The... Deciding to do this format, I think it works because of what we'll say in a minute, why Esmail came up with it Mm. as an organic thing that falls in line with our characters, not because he's going, oh, I want to do something new and original. And even if it doesn't totally make sense here, we're going to fit it in. Yeah. There was a little bit of fit it in happening. For sure. We couldn't have had Dom do that scene last episode because this is after last episode's events but let me acquiesce because i think you're right we could have just had towards the end of the episode dom getting a text message from janice with a picture of elliot and his sister from the streetlight saying high priority must find these two. yeah why did and she then, need to go to that van at all yeah i think that works fine Well, let me tell you, in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Esmail said, we start making the episode, and then we find our way in terms of how to tell the story. Here, in the relationship between Darlene and Elliot, they just had a big fight. Darlene was still pretty angry at him. We felt she wasn't ready to make up with Elliot by episode five. We didn't want it to be that quick. We thought there would be a frigid nature between the two, where they go, do this hack, 
and let it be all about business. That felt right emotionally, that there was a silent treatment they'd be giving each other. In this day and age, as we're leaning into tech, and of course our show revolves around that, a lot of people text and don't call each other. It leans into the isolationism that can be a consequence of technology. So for a lot of reasons, we thought it really worked. And in a lot of reasons, it does. I think I was drawn more. I had to pay more attention because there wasn't dialogue to lean on. The text messages I was reading frantically to make sure I don't miss anything. The looks on everyone's face because I had to read what are, what are they thinking, what's going on, because they're not going to tell us. Color means more. Sound means more. Mm-hmm. It was exciting to get so much action. I've been missing that. I really appreciated having the focus be on these two, their relationship, the hack that they're pulling off. It's been a while since they did something together mm-hmm. as engrossed as this. So all in all, I really did appreciate the episode. I've just been feeling all season as though our secondary characters are floating around the periphery and I don't mind them not getting as much time. Their scenes don't feel important enough or impactful to me and I'm not seeing yet how it fits in with everyone else. It just felt a little more glaring this time around. To be honest with you, I felt it was less glaring Hmm. because Dom's storyline is about to unfold and so is Vera's. It finally... They're at the T. Is it? Are they? Next episode, I believe so. Since last season's finale, we've been teasing Vera's coming back. And it feels like they're doing a lot of stunts to keep us guessing to the point that, man, the Vera stuff better pay off. They're billing well, him as a really yes, exciting course. turn. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying I think that happens next episode. I hope so. And Price, I think, said a lot more than Dom's did this episode. I think there's more to that, which we will get into. But Vera, you and I were discussing last night that we have a little bit of a different thought on Vera. Yeah, I was saying to you that I have to go back and take a look, and I'm now kind of off that train because one of our clatchers had written in asking if we had considered the possibility of Vera being the other guy, the other personality. I was kind of dismissive of it at the time, even though it's an interesting thought, because I don't love Vera. This episode had me thinking slightly differently, because I wondered how much more would it mean if Vera did wound up doing something terrible or even killing Krista, and it then winds up being it was Elliot. Elliot actually did that and didn't realize because Mm -hmm. he was in the form of an alternate personality. It felt not as interesting to me. If Vera just takes Krista off the board, he's done this before with Shayla, somebody that Elliot cared about. He hasn't seemed to be a big enough character to belong in this season in endgame material. Whereas if it's a form of Elliot and an angry Avenger I need to seek justice form, that kind of makes sense. But then I thought back to when we got to know Vera in season one. There was insinuations that he was beating, abusing, perhaps had even raped Shayla. And I thought to myself, would that really have been Elliot? And what am I going to think about his character if that winds up being true? It's difficult because I started thinking about the scenes that we thought displayed that it wasn't Vera. For example, this season alone, when Darlene says, Vera's back, and I told you, you didn't seem to mind. And we were thinking, well, if it was, a, if it was Elliot, Darlene wouldn't have answered that way originally. But mm-hmm. then I started thinking... If she's used to that third personality being around, maybe she was just saying, Vera's back. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I know it's your third personality. He's back. He's been gone for a while. And I told you. 
Yeah, except ostensibly then she would also know the things that Vera has done, i.e. the things Elliot has done, and she probably would be very concerned. It's more difficult if you really go back to thinking on season one. It would have made me see more importance for Vera and get more excited about him, but I think that would just be following a theory train that doesn't totally connect. Yeah, I'm still not sold on it, but I'm a little more open to it. My problem is you say that's not that impactful if that is his other character. Who would be impactful? No, I'm saying it would be. Okay. It would be depressing to think that was actually Elliot that did all those things. He beat and abused somebody he ostensibly loved. Now, yeah, there are some things that connect. Elliot was looking for Suboxone to deal with his addiction problem, and Vera always had it. He did go to jail for a time, and then it was Elliot who helped him break out of jail. So I don't know that that mixes. And Shayla might have known about the split personality, and that's why she was comfortable being around him while he was Elliot. And scared of him at other times. You got to do a lot of what-ifs and bridging to get to that. It feels a little too hard. And honestly, I have to watch season one again, Mm -hmm. which we don't have time. It it will change your mind if you just go back and read some stuff about it that it's not in the forefront of our minds. But I thought it was worth discussing. Yeah, it's worth discussing because we're always willing to talk about a theory and to bat it around. And if it doesn't make sense, then we'll say, well, it doesn't really add up to us. We put forth some wild and crazy ideas because I think that's fun. I That's the fun of it, yeah. That's what makes this show interesting. And there are certainly some shows that doesn't make sense with. There's two huge ones that I can think of right now. If you're watching and not having fun imagining what could be in theorizing, I don't know what you're doing. Mr. Robot and Westworld are two shows that are just built for that. Now, that doesn't mean we don't consider story. We also look at the straight read on things. We talk about Sam Esmail, the vision, the narrative, the artsy filming, the scoring in the background, the psychology of the characters. We've been talking about DID all season, which yeah. is a straight psychological read on what's happening with Elliot. I just think it adds another layer and perhaps some people are scared to go into that territory, you are putting yourself out there and it's fine that other people can come back and say, that theory's crazy or you guys are wearing tinfoil hats too much. But if we're not doing that, I just think we're not having fun. And that's the reason why we do podcasting, to have fun. We don't make money off of this. So for those people who have issues with us theorizing, (laughs) sorry, man. Maybe it's not the podcast for you, but we try to bring all of these things into the mix. Speaking of which... If you want a little straight background, let's start with the origin of our title, 405 Method Not Allowed. This is where a request method is not supported for the requested resource. For example, a get request on a form that requires data to be presented via post, or a put request on a read-only resource. It's funny that in looking back to titles, there's one that talks about length And I said, wouldn't it be interesting if they played with the length, the time frame of the episode there? Mm -hmm. We didn't think about here with method, but same idea. And they absolutely did. They played with the method, the format of the show. The methods utilized for the actual hack, while there's things that maybe aren't entirely believable, and I'm not going to get into that because I don't know tech. So to me, I'm just along for the ride. Even if it stretches belief a tiny bit, the things Mm -hmm. they're doing, there were certainly tons of steps and creative ways that they had to get around being able to perform this hack that to me felt exciting. It said, this is Elliot and Darlene, two of the best hackers who have Mm -hmm. done their homework. They've researched this place. They had to really formulate a strategy. And sometimes they're just flying by the seat of their pants. 
Of course. And to be as literal as possible, they learned that they were only gaining access to read-only files and they couldn't manipulate anything. So they had to actually physically get to the CNB servers, create an open door, basically create an admin account for themselves to go into. So they literally had to go get physically the request in order to post what they need to. So question for you, that wound up being the end result of what they were after, right? That they were able to create an admin account. Once they leave here, they'll be able to get into Cypress National Bank. That's right. They did not actually go in and take out the money or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I believe that's why Elliot only gave themselves 40 minutes because they were only going to create the door and then later on go through it. I'll come back to questions on the time frame later. Next, let's move it along to music. Before you go to music, Chris, I, I just have, this was a funny thing and it means absolutely nothing. This week I updated my creative cloud, which has Photoshop, InDesign, all those things. And last night I started creating our cover photo and in using Photoshop, I kept getting, and I've never gotten this before, an error message from Photoshop saying file not found. 404. Yeah, but it wasn't a 404 because it wasn't via the web. Okay. It was an app. Gotcha. Application error. So it wasn't a 404 from the server. It was just saying file not found. And I was trying to put a photo in from my desktop. And I'm like, I found it. I can open it in every other application. <laughs> Why can't you? So I was like, oh my God, Mr. Robot has <laughs> infiltrated. Um, I got in touch with Adobe. And basically since the new OS for Mac came out, the raw camera extension was updated, which it wasn't supposed to be for users who don't use the new OS. Mm. So I was getting that error because it doesn't work with my old operating system. So they fixed it for me. Oh, but this, I just thought it was hilarious. I hate Apple products. Never upgrade to the newest OS because then half the stuff you have is no longer going to work. Not just Apple, it's every computer. It makes computer. me so angry. <laughs> anyway, music. We heard Ode to Joy by London Symphony Orchestra during the opening scenes. In a comedic twist, we had Do You Hear What I Hear? I don't hear anything this episode. What's wrong? <laughs> From Bob Dylan. Also, Silent Night. There we go. So clever. Ave Maria, as performed by Josh Groban. Of course, we have gotten multiple shout outs throughout the seasons to Josh Groban here. This is when Elliot's running onto the ice rink. And Mistletoe and Holly by Frank Sinatra, where Dom gets the instructions and Price is sitting at the restaurant alone. And that's just the music that is It's not the original Mac Quayle music. The scoring, yeah. Yeah, the scoring was amazing because during this heist, whatever Mac Quayle did there, it was enough to create tension, especially because I think with no sound, we needed that in order to let us know there should be tension here. But it, it was half scary, half adventure, like action movie. Yeah, he amped it up to a 10 here for sure. But they both were going on at the same time, and I was like, it sounds like a scary score and an adventure score. It was tripping me out. I loved it. For fun facts, we have been trying to track the timeline of things here. This entire episode takes place on Christmas Day, December 25th, from 7.22 a.m. to 12.37 p.m. And we know the meeting is scheduled to take place at 9 o'clock p.m. Right. Jason, you're the master of this. I've been wrong all season. Yeah. You've been right. Do you think next episode runs us right up to nine o'clock, but we don't get the meeting? Yes. And mm. I kind of guesstimated that two episodes ago. I said, last episode, no meeting, and more than likely the episode coming up, no meeting. I think there's more than enough time there to get us going with Dom catching up with Elliot and or Darlene and Vera doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be more about Dom this episode. We might get 
minor clips of Vera. I'm not too positive. I think they're going to still keep messing with our heads there. Um, but we're not going to get, and, and maybe some price, what, what's going on, amping up to the meeting, but no meeting. Yeah, we can do further speculating in our spoiler section. We will have the brief synopsis for episode 406. But we'll give you the warning when we get there. In the meantime, we also got a couple of fun drops. I have saved a few for our closer look, including what the Britano might be about, the name of the restaurant Price is instructed to go to, as well as Parmenides, the system that's on the computer Elliot hacks into. But here, we will mention Murnau, Murnau, who is a German film director. He was greatly influenced by Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, and Shakespeare. He revolutionized the art of cinematic expression by using the camera subjectively to interpret the emotional state of a character. And he's best known for the silent film classic Nosferatu in 1922. So, of course, Esmail's mm-hmm. giving him a shout out in this episode. In my notes, I said the camera movement, especially in the chase scenes, were amazing. You do definitely get the subjective emotional experience that both Elliot and Darlene are going through. That's also heightened, as we mentioned, with the color scheme and the theme here being red. The one that stood out to me, even on first watch, at Price's house in the background. There's a gigantic table, much like we saw way back in the day with White Rose, a gigantic table of white roses. Price has one of red roses. Oh, But we see it elsewhere. Several shots of the red security lights where they really zoom in on the color. Dom's coat, as she walks through the crime scene, is this bright red color. And even the person who is following Krista before Vera comes on scene Mm -hmm. is wearing a bright red coat. Well, let's not forget the red, red, red staircase and hallway, coupled by the blue hallways where everything's blue. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that red staircase. Yeah, me too. But now let's jump into our synopsis. We pick up right where we left off the last episode. Elliot grabs Tyrell's phone and the gun, then douses the van in gas and lights it on fire. He and Mr. Robot watch it burn. The only scene with Mr. Robot in it. And I think that still counts as him not being in this episode. That first scene felt like the ending of the last episode, tying up that storyline. Darlene hasn't said the official opening words yet. When she follows the GPS coordinates to Salomano's, she sees the smoke rising from the air down the road. And music starts. Yes. <laughs> she goes and picks up Elliot and then tells him, it's cool, we don't have to talk. I see that as the episode's begun. Yes. And we'll be quiet That's from it. here on yeah. out. And I did not pick up on that until halfway through I started saying, I think they're not talking on purpose, everybody. (laughs) And then towards the end, I was, yeah, this is definitely happening. And then when Vera says, it's time we talk, I was like, hell yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) One of our clatchers, Jillian, tweeted at us, one thing that I just can't get past in last night's Mr. Robot episode is why Tyrell's phone was by the van. He didn't take it with him on his walk. I feel Tyrell's death played out differently than what we saw. Please discuss. Yeah, now... (sighs) I mean, the straight read, I guess, is that he could have dropped it when he got shot and then walked off without realizing he didn't have it. I had wondered at the end of 404 if that blue light we were seeing was just his cell phone dropped in the snow. If Esmail wants to get cute later, it's nothing (laughs) big. This seems to suggest no, and perhaps it is weird. Will anything come of that with Elliot taking the phone? Oh, yeah, I think he's going to have to utilize that to play with the Dark Army because they don't know he's dead. 
So he oh, can... Good point. Price knows that. And maybe they want to string them out a little to buy time. Exactly. Terrell just like had a nervous breakdown. I'm about to come. I'm coming. Maybe they don't get there on time for the meeting because of something that uh, Vera does. So they're running a little late and he uses Tyrell's phone to be like, I'll be right there. Mm. Something, something happened. I like Maybe. it. Yeah. Well, after Darlene says those opening words for the episode, we get a shot panning up again to the traffic light, a real zoom in. But here, for the only time, the light turns green. So you have the red background of the title credits mm-hmm. with the green traffic light. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. (laughs) Next, we will quickly cover Dom and Price, and then we'll move into the action with Elliot and Darlene. First, Janice sends Dom a text that she needs to head to Pike's Hollow to intercept the team headed for the van. Get the intel and ID the body. So she walks through the scene as cops tag items and the coroner removes the body. Doesn't say anything. Don't know what she does there. As she's driving away, she notices the red light camera at the traffic signal. Listen... uh I had a question in my head. I thought that maybe the car isn't working, but I thought they'd get in the van, drive it into the woods, and then burn it. Oh, I think that thing was totaled was between total, the guy okay. crashing it after he hit the deer. Just basically buy themselves some time, you know? Mm-hmm. But they removed the evidence, the gun, the phone. True, but of course, the Dark Army knows it's one of theirs. Mm-hmm. Now, with the traffic light, serious question. How come we haven't gotten any photos from our traffic lights of Santa? Because he's running those red lights, and it must take some photos. I, I, well, and I think those things are rigged because I've gotten some red lights. Do you think light he has tickets? Tickets before. <laughs> that would be a good way to play with the children. He knows I've been naughty. Well, just you know, <laughs> on the news, CNN has a Christmas news: Santa caught on red light, and there's a picture. Ah, of Santa, I see. And the kids can see it and have fun. Yeah. Next, Dom goes to the local precinct and distracts the officer. Who's really not doing that great of a job here. She distracts her away from her desk, giving her time to plug a device into the back of her computer that will give them remote access. I think this was clever because they introduced the ringing. We know whose phone that is from the scene prior. And then we pick up on what Dom's doing. But again, it's very awkward. She's in there with all these people and not talking at all. Mm -hmm. It just... Stealing the cookies? It was... Right? Out of that box? I thought so. the phone but i read the synopsis from mr robot and those cookies she bought apparently for the party with her family we didn't see her buy anything anymore. i don't know we that's saw a box that was empty yes. and then we saw that's why I cookies that. in dom's car but the mr robot podcast she, hey I mean, she not podcast, might blog. now be taking it trying to pass them off at her mom's Maybe. house as her own but either way i don't think she bought those cookies <laughs> what dom was putting in there was a land turtle hmm and that essentially not just that officer's computer, that grants her access to all of their computers because it's on the same network. She then sends Janice the message that she didn't have authorization, so she hacked the local PD, and Janice should look out for incoming red light reports, Ooh, which really screws things up later, but we'll get there. Dom then gets a message that McGuire was released. Okay, I said last time, it felt like they were putting the McGuire thing in for a reason. Yeah. It was a little odd. Now it's really blaringly back in our faces. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to need to get away. It does seem like such a straight read that they'll have to use him to... Make someone disappear. Make someone disappear, but I can't think of any other logic besides that. Price, maybe. I mean, I don't think White Rose and the Deus group are going to let him live. It just doesn't seem possible. 
if they have any control over it, you wouldn't think. If he manages to skip out before they know it. But back at home, Dom leaves the family celebration to walk the dog and sees a white van on the corner of the street. She takes down the plate number and info. What is she doing with that? She knows the Dark Army's following her. I don't know. It felt a little bizarre. The whole th- That scene felt really bizarre. You're not even talking to your family it now? It was awkward. She's standing <laughs> right next to her mother. We know there's some tension there, but still, there's kids running around. The walking through the crime scene, that, and some of the stuff with Krista was where it stretched my disbelief. I was actively thinking to myself, why isn't anybody saying anything? <laughs> and, you know, the other scenes manages to do it really great. As you said, I think it totally works for the price stuff. But anyhow, the last thing that happens here, Janice sends Dom a message saying she needs her to find a couple of troublemakers. It's an emergency, so she should do it ASAP. Of course, that's Darlene and Elliot from the afterwards from the red light camera. So I think I said this last episode, and I really believe this is going to happen. They set up us seeing the pain of Dom so that this is more believable. When she goes and finds Elliot and or Darlene next episode, it will be believable if they manage, if our team manages to get Dom on their side to go against the Dark Army. I'm going to have to disagree with you here. I thought that was believable, as I mentioned last time, right from the moment she saw Irving killed and that she didn't really have anywhere else to turn. I was waiting for a long time for her to go to Elliot and say, she needs to be part of what they're doing. She's got to get out of this. Now she's so deeply entrenched. Mm. Being watched so carefully, her family is on the line. She's performing stuff for Janice and the Dark Army because she has no choice. Elliot did just manage, we hope, to pull off a great hack, but him and Darlene are barely getting by by the skin of their teeth. They are all that's left of F society, and it's really not looking so good for them. I'm beginning to wonder if Darlene actually thinks it's a smart move to go and beg for their help. No, no. I think she's going to be out to get them. Oh, okay. They're going to turn they're going to be able to turn her. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Maybe she really is just an agent for the Dark Army now. I would hate to see that. I really wanted to see her hook up with Elliot and Darlene, but it's kind of the first time I've been questioning that. On to Price, Elliot texts him to say Tyrell isn't coming to the meeting tonight. Price receives a message in his restaurant bill with instructions to go to the E-Corp building and give $20 to the trombone player. The man then hands him a dry cleaner bill for a place called Murnaus. He picks up a suit and inside the pocket is a card for the Britano. 9 o'clock p.m. I actually enjoyed these scenes because up until this point, we didn't know how much this would impact Price and this being the decision to step down from E-Corp. But we see his pain. We see his yearning for that maybe power or for that company that he loves. When he first walks up to E-Corp headquarters and puts his hand on the big sign Mm. and longs for it, which showed me... Very reflective. Yeah, it, it showed me that he valued that company or at least his position in that company. Further, I feel like this shows us that White Rose... Is not happy with him, and she's playing with him. Ooh, a wild goose chase. That's an interesting read. I just kind of took it that this is what they do for all of the Deus Group meetings, that it's so secretive and hush-hush. When there is very infrequently a meeting, it requires a series of codes or instructions that nobody really knows where it's going to be, what time it's going to be at. That's the way they keep it quiet and safe. 
But putting it in front of E Corp. Well, that was probably a That's dig. a big middle yeah. finger. Think of that skyscraper as the middle finger. Mm-hmm. And it is looming so large behind Price, who's now very, very small in front of it in that camera shot. No longer in charge. This was his place of power. What does he have left anymore? He feels very isolated, alone the entire episode. It does make sense for him mm-hmm. that he's quiet, contemplative, simmering anger underneath it all for White Rose. I think it works. He seemed so angry when he was looking at that dry, clean suit. Mm-hmm. He finishes it by texting Elliot, they're on for the meeting tonight, Wellick or not. But moving forward to the excitement of the episode... Back at the apartment, when Elliot goes to wash the blood from his hands, he crumples to the ground, crying, but quickly collects himself once Darlene comes out of the bathroom and they continue researching virtual realty. A really amazing symbolic moment for Elliot. He is finally taking in that emotion the way Mr. Robot has Mm -hmm. been telling him, urging him to do all season long with the people he's lost. It winds up coming for Tyrell, somebody he actually really did care about. You might be... My only friend. You might be the only one in the world that likes me. Yeah, that's what it was. And, you know, out damn spot, metaphorically and literally, the blood is on his hands. I'm wondering why he so quickly hid it from Darlene. Does he just not want to be pushed on that matter anymore? Back to business. I need to keep moving forward with the plan. I think it's all comes down to the time constraint. Mm -hmm. He just has to get it done. Okay. More compartmentalizing. Yeah. At 11 a.m., Darlene goes inside the virtual realty building with her wig and fake ID. She runs it through the scanner several times before heading over to the desk to speak to the security guard. Dropping her bag, she creates a distraction so Elliot can slip inside and run past the desk, heading downstairs to the security office. He hacks his way inside and gets on the computer. This is where we see the Parmenides program. We'll come back to that later on. He enters a record for a new employee. Dolores Hayes, just in time so that when the guard pulls her up on the records out front, it seems this employee has always been there (laughs) and she checks out. He's able to get her a new ID. And while he's doing that, she cleans her phone, Mm -hmm. leaves it there on purpose so that that security guard grabs it. Boom. Fingerprint. He leaves a remarkably clean and even (laughs) fingerprint on there. (laughs) And that's when the two head up to the 3D printer floor. First of all, I would love to hang out there. Well, first, we see Elliot hacks the system so that he can shut the cameras and security, and he sets a timer for 41 minutes. I don't know why the time. That's a question that's being asked a lot. I went and looked it up, of course, because we've been tracking differences in time all season long to see if it meant anything. He would have started it at 11.07 and 38 seconds, which sounded so close to me. I was sure... This was the number we had seen before, but no. On the clocks, yeah. The clock was stuck at 11.16 and 37. This one's 11.07.38. White Rose is 11.16.11. And 41-minute laps or 40-minute laps, whatever you want to put that down to, I don't think is a number we've seen mirrored anywhere. So, so far, the time discrepancies do not appear to be adding up to let's say, one period of time or one number we could point to. They're just close enough to keep you running around guessing. I was hoping that 11.16 landed on a Sunday, but it lands on a Saturday. Mm, Well, and that's also a theory about the whole series being one day off from reality. Oh, well, there you go. So I'm not sure of the day, but for instance, if it was supposed to take place on a Sunday in 2015, that was the day. 
in this universe, it takes place on a Monday. So people have been wondering about that a lot. Why the one day difference? Was it just a mistake or is that a purposeful thing? And that would mean that something big happens next week because that's next week. We shall see, I suppose. But on to that 3D printer floor. Elliot and Darlene used the fingerprint on the phone cover to make a mold. Now, this is when I was curious about why Elliot didn't buy himself more time. Mm-hmm. Because I know how long it takes to 3D print anything. Me too. Even the best 3D printers out there takes a long time. So they had to sit there and waste an exorbitant amount of time just watching it print. And they didn't have that. Despite the fact that he said it for so long, we see before they enter that room, a bunch of time has already elapsed. Now, I know a high-tech place is probably investing in way better 3D printers than we've ever seen before that can probably go much faster. And it was a small fingerprint mold they were creating. I'm thinking 20 minutes to do that. Yeah, I don't know if it could be under 20 minutes. And why did he only do 40 minutes? I can't figure that out for the life of me. Well, I'm really wondering if he had to run a real update And that's how long a real update works. It wasn't a virus that pretended to be an update. I think perhaps it was just a real update that he knew would take it down for a little bit. Oh, that could be true, but he couldn't have fudged the clock. Did he have time? He's been upstate. Maybe not. Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. He's been in the woods. Well, the guard heads to the security office and finds the computer running this firmware upgrade. He decides to go check as Darlene and Elliot make their way up to the ninth floor and find the server room with only six minutes remaining. This is where we start to stretch belief. They log in and start to access the system. Again, all this season we've been talking about key moments, important moments in every episode. There's either a clock chiming or something that sounds like time. Bells. Bells. There we go. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, this time there's no sound of clocks, but we're actually counting down. We're seeing a clock repeatedly. (laughs) Yes, and it means a lot. Checking the app on his phone system, the security guard sees his credentials were already used to access the server room. So he texts his partner to call the cops. Inside, Darlene and Elliot hear the door unlock. They're able to hack into Cypress National Bank, but time is running out on the cameras. Thinking fast, Elliot hacks in and shuts the lights in the room. They are just able to create the account inside Cypress National Bank and run out the door. So a lot of people are wondering, why did it take them so long once they were in there? Why does it take so long to create an account? Well, they had to find, like I said earlier, the right server, the right CNB server. Mm -hmm. And that's why they go from rack to rack to rack. Once they find the right one, it's not just a matter of like create new account, blah, 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 blah. She has to still do some hacking to get into that level. And it wasn't just a new account. She was creating admin access, right? Right. Okay. So it wasn't that easy. But one thing I'm wondering is why were they, and maybe it's just because of time, they were under the gun. Why were they so clumsy to leave a rack half open, Mm -hmm. to leave the elevator emergency panel open? Yeah, what did he do? I thought for sure when Elliot was inside the elevator panel, he was stopping the elevator so that it was frozen at that floor. That way, when the guard went to go come upstairs, he wouldn't be able to get it. He'd actually have to go up the stairs, which would take longer. That wasn't the case. We see the guard come up the elevator. So what the heck was Elliot doing? In fact, our clatcher Irene wrote in to say she would really appreciate if we'd cover this question. I've looked on YouTube, Reddit, and other podcasts. No one mentioned this. Did anyone see the elevator panel that Elliot closed and the security guard saw open when he went in? 
I went to rewatch to make sure and Elliot definitely closes it. Not sure if it's a big deal, but thought since they were being so careful to quietly sneak into the server room, leaving it open like that seemed sloppy. That and the server gate as well, the server door when they uh, first went to the wrong one. It was a little ajar. And the bigger point of what was he doing in there if not stopping the elevator? Maybe to get to that room? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. The story I'm putting in my head is that he shut it and he thought he turned the key and then pulled it out real quick and started running. But it didn't lock the door. And you know those doors, if you don't lock it with the key, it kind of swings open. So I'm assuming that's the case. Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you what I was really questioning here. I love the guard looking for them in the room. There's so much tension. Mm-hmm. Without words, this is where it really works. And that's when that music Elliot was going. looking at Darlene crowd. and she's giving him the eyes like, I'm going as quick as I can. What do you want me to do? He's mm-hmm. showing her the timer and she's conveying this message without saying anything. Figure something out. I need more time. So he frantically sits down, starts hacking in, shuts the lights. Perfect. Now it's harder. The security guard has to go aisle for aisle. Having something open maybe even helps them there because he's pausing to look. It's taking longer to get to them. Yet, I was convinced Darlene is clacking away on these keys. There's no other sound in this room. Why would the guard not hear that and come right to the row he hears the keys? He might have been hearing Matt Quayle's music. (laughs) That was bizarre to me. I think it was just intensified for our ears to create the tension. Bad bad choice then, because it seems clear that that would help him to locate where they're at. Yeah, I assume you're right. I think you're right. In that event, we should have also gotten some more sounds maybe from this server room that there's ambient noise in the background, making the keys less obvious. You know what? I've been in server rooms. They're loud. There's a humming, right? There's fans in every rack Mm -hmm. keeping those servers cool. And also, a lot of server rooms have huge ACs as well. So all you're hearing is... Yeah, so have when the guard's going down the aisles, that sound. But then when we go over to Elliot and Darlene, the clacking, so it feels really loud, but we're aware that there are more sounds in the room. Okay. It still worked. I thought it was great. It feels every moment as though they're going to be caught. They managed to slip out and tie the door closed behind them. There's a bunch of near misses. The other guards coming up. They have to go down the stairs. This is where we get the great iconic shot of that red staircase going all the way down. I absolutely loved that shot. It created so much tension. I I believe what they did was they took a really expensive camera and they put it on a rope. They hung it. Hung it. And let it turn. They Mm. probably had a mechanism that turned it and just dropped the rope. That's what it felt like, right? It was descending and swiveling slowly. Now, because everything's red, including the railings, the walls, and the actual stairs... Our only indication of movement would be the random window. So I think the crew actually put those white tape outlinings on there. Oh, on purpose. On purpose to show the movement. Cool. And there was a big contrast, the red and the white. And they were very careful to outline the staircases and the, and the outside of the staircase where when you go it, from one to the other. It creates a spiral almost. Exactly. Yeah. And that is where our eyes can pick up on the movement. And I think that was brilliant. I bet they shot it once without it and they're like, ah. It, you can't it, even tell. You can't tell. And then they put the tape in. Mm, cool. I'm guessing. I like that idea. Well, the two make it to the lobby, but the cops pull out in front that very moment. So Elliot takes off outside on a foot chase to draw them away. 
I thought for sure he was sacrificing himself here. Essentially, he was. The cops were close on his heels when the chase first started so that Darlene could get away. This was my favorite scenes. His running away. Of course. (laughs) I mean, fine. Say what you will that this stretches the disbelief. The length of time that we go on, there's only two cops. The stuff with the bus later. There were moments that I was saying, oh, really? (laughs) But I didn't care. I was having so much fun at this point. It wasn't like the slower scenes, for instance, with Dom, where there's not a lot else happening and my mind is allowed to say, does it make sense nobody's talking right now? This is (laughs) action-packed. Rami Malek, anytime he's on screen doing anything, I'm riveted, but especially exhausted, getting the crap beat out of him, emotional, tense. It was thrilling stuff watching this chase. It seems for a very long time, I thought for sure, he's young, he's fast, he's going to start outpacing them. But the cops are keeping right up with him. They're pretty close behind him until they get into Central Park. Let's pause there for a second, though, because we go back inside to Virtual Realty, where Darlene locates a sweatshirt and a bottle of water. Coming up with a plan, she removes her wig and pretends to walk out of the fitness center downstairs. Genius. Again, perhaps they would have been stopping people to question them or to hold them to get a statement or something because that is right inside the same building, but it works. She's able to walk out of the building right past the cops and to her stolen car. The whole time I kept thinking when they pulled up, I was like, they're still in that hot car. It's stolen. Yeah. And it's, right across the yeah. street. <laughs> they need to find a new one. Absolutely. She checks Elliot's GPS and starts heading toward his location. Meanwhile, Elliot has been leading a lengthy chase through Central Park onto the skating rink. Oh, I love that skating rink scene. Look, all of these, the different parts of New York, the crazy congested parts, the openness. Reprieve when you finally get to the park and you're like, there's trees, there's places to hide. There's this open (laughs) skating part. Um, The way Esmail went from very close up and dramatic to watching him run away to this outside of that alley, this open air from above, seeing all of the buildings and Elliot Small, you see him running to close up again with Elliot trying to skate with sneakers on. It was just, I loved it. Elliot repeatedly crashing into things, falling. You can see he's getting more and more physically bruised as time goes by. He goes through the park, manages to get onto a bus, leaving them behind, and then does something silly. Stays on the bus. He stays on the bus. Now, I know you can't just stop wherever you want, but if he starts trying to get off and being crazy banging on things the driver is gonna let him off after a couple blocks that should have been his play the longer you stay on that bus the more chance the cops tell their buddies and they start tracking the bus it's exactly what they did so i'm ignorant when it comes to this city buses in the city you might be right about that but where i grew up the last time i was on a bus you pull a cord cling yes and the bus pulls over and drops you off wherever so Maybe in the city you can't do that because it's so congested. I don't think you can. Only designated spots. Yeah, and I don't think you would have been able to open the door the way he did. However, if you start acting a fool and and beating on things and yelling, he's going to stop and kick you off because he doesn't want you on the bus anymore. So after a few blocks, that's what I would have done so that you can hopefully get off before the cops are on your tail and Mm -hmm. run down a random alley. He doesn't. He waits. By the time he gets off, the cops are right there. He starts running again and is hit by a car. Ouch. Oof. 
I mean, the car really hits him. He's thrown back onto the ground. There is a bizarre moment where it seems like he's dead. There's no chest movements. There's no breathing. All of a sudden, you see his chest expand. He opens his eyes, and that's when he sits up. That's led to a lot of conjecture. He's knocked out. It appeared to me as though he was knocked out. Are we thinking the third personality is in now? No, somebody else had mentioned in an article, could this be an indication of a simulation? If this is virtual reality, are these weird things happening? Like there's not more cops or he gets up after hitting the bus because they're being run through a simulation where multiple different outcomes could happen. Okay. It doesn't seem likely, but we ourselves have brought up a virtual reality. So had to touch on that. Virtual reality. You know what I think would have been cool? No, I, I don't want to say cooler because these scenes were amazing. But if at certain moments, Mr. Robot's running and takes over. Well, and that's another point is how do we know, he t- how do we know he's not? How do we know when Elliot wakes back up here, it's not Mr. Robot. Like Elliot's other. had enough. Mm-hmm. So somebody else has to reassume the role when he sits up. I mean, he does wind up throwing himself down that embankment. Which but he hesitates. So if we saw, once they go back to him after looking at the cops being very close, it's Mr. Robot now and he jumps, that would have been cool. To actually see him. I agree. I agree. But we can think that perhaps that's his presence in the moment where he jumps over that railing. He rolls all the way down, comes to a stop, and there is Darlene's waiting car. Once inside, the two start speeding away. And he takes her hand. He places his hand on top of hers. Team's back together. Mm -hmm. I'm sure not all is forgiven, but they're going to work it out, especially in this time. Do you Uh, think they're free and clear of the cops here? I mean, they were still pretty close. For story's sake, yes. Okay. I think Sam's done with that. I hope That's done. (laughs) Um, Back to it not being robot. Maybe Elliot is becoming stronger and may not need. uh, We have been hypothesizing about more and more integration possibly taking place this season. It's weird that this is a time they bring up the other one and are playing around with that, playing around with the hoodie stuff. Because him and Robot are coming to be more on the same page, which that is possible if you look at actual DID to integrate with some alters, but not all of them. Okay. So them working together, seeing more easy back and forth, maybe this is a time where he's actually starting to be able to pull up those different facets without switching necessarily. Elements of Mr. Robot can come out to help him, but it's all Elliot here in this scene. And that's why all you see is Elliot on the screen. I think that would be pretty amazing. We have some more work to do in order to show that's what's happening and for us as viewers to know it. I'm just assuming it's probably not likely. I hope it's not likely. I want more Mr. Robot, to be honest with you. Yeah, but that's the main aim, right? For him to get to a better place, be able to piece some of this stuff together. We have one more scene before the end. We've been seeing periodically Krista getting ready for Christmas Day, texting with her boyfriend. She decides that instead of bringing him home to meet the family as they had planned, they should just have a night with the two of them alone. That's a little strange. I don't want to harp on a sidebar, but if you have this whole big plan for Christmas Day and that morning you just text your parents, oh, change my mind. <laughs> well, we, we saw that they weren't looking forward to it. It kind of felt like they were. They were a little nervous because it was mm. going to be the first time he was meeting her. But anyhow, Krista goes to the shopping market to pick up a few things and we see she's being watched by someone who follows her home. As she turns around before entering her apartment, startled, Vera is there. And he says, it's time we talked. 
So one of Vera's cronies is watching mm-hmm. as well. So they're kind of like uh, flanking her. I think she was tailing her and then called Vera okay. to say, I've got her. Um, yeah, I think it was impactful. I just don't want anything to happen to her. <laughs> I know. And what does that mean t- to the story, the full storyline? I still have no further ideas on that. And, and again, is this Sam being in love with what his season four was supposed to be? And he's kind of trying to meld it because it feels like it doesn't fit. It feels like this should be the... It was a leftover. E-Corp, Dark Army season. Right. Um, when there was a four and a five, Vera was part of the four. Yes. Now, I'm just assuming, and it may make sense in the end. But at this point, it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Even Krista feels like a relic of seasons past mm-hmm. that I'm not sure how that's still playing in. Unless Vera is the other. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's why I was going so far out on a limb to get there because it felt like the only way that it all added up. But now it doesn't really make sense with what we know of Elliot. I, I certainly hope it wasn't Elliot. We are, of course, left with all of the questions we've been talking about. What's going to happen when Dom links up with Darlene and Elliot? What will happen at this meeting that we probably won't see next time? But what are they going to do about Tyrell? Will they find out? What's Darlene and Elliot's next move after getting away from the cops? And what will happen to Krista? Is Vera going to kill her or just use her as leverage to help get Elliot on his side? And if so, what is this plan? Yeah. So um, I think initially it's going to be leverage. I'm very curious because we have no idea what Vera needs him for. Uh, Did Darlene and Elliot get away? Yes. What's their next move? To break in, to sign in. And do what? Take all the money? Or move it or something. Maybe give it to Vera. (laughs) Maybe they need to. We really thought the ultimate thing was they would realize the money is not what's important, especially not this phase. It's more about time. So I'm hoping that there's another part to this plan once we see Elliot kind of hacking in, that that's phase one. (laughs) Maybe Elliot hacking in, he'll be able to see where the money's going and assess more. It's got to be about the project. About it being shipped and and screwing with that piece of it, I think. Does Elliot know about the Congo or just us? Yeah, he does. Okay. He helped her at the end of last season. Oh, that's right. What am I thinking? So all of that will take us to our robot rating for the episode. Jason, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give 405, method not allowed? I never let you go first. Okay, I was at an 8.5 for last episode, 404. I'm going to go back up to an 8.8, which is what I gave 402. I'm on the same board with you. I'm going to go up as well. I'm going to go to 9 robots. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was creative. Yes, it missed in some spots, but this season... When it comes to Dom, lately I feel like it's been missing. So it's on par with everything else. I totally agree. I didn't like the side stories, but I loved the Darlene and Elliot stuff. I loved the hack. That all made it worth it. And as brief as it was, I enjoyed Price. I really enjoyed Price. I felt like I f- had empathy for him <laughs> for once. Uh, the Dom thing, I still I haven't given up on it. I still feel confident that Esmel will make it all pay off. But we'll see. But now it's time for the Clatchers to tell us what they're thinking. And this episode, we have a lot. We have, I believe, now six voicemails. While we're recording, we got another one. Wow. So we'll try to get through those. And we have a lot of comments. So I'm loving this. But before we hear from them directly, let's find out who the MVH is. Every week, we ask our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast. If you haven't joined yet, join in on the fun. Follow us. Who is your MVH? 
This week was Elliot, Darlene, Price, and Dom. Basically the four characters that we got this (laughs) episode. Now the winner isn't the highest percentage we've had so far, but it is by far the closest race. Coming in tied for third and fourth place with 4% were Price and Dom as expected. Yeah, we put them in. They were part of the episode, but... You know, they didn't do much as far as push the story along. Although Price's scenes were very well done, it was Elliot and Darlene's The big question is who won on that side? So coming in at 46%, that's 1% off of first place, is Darlene. And that means with 47%, Elliot won the boat. Darlene got to drive a car away and Elliot had to run, jump, skate, (laughs) leap, Get hit by a car. (laughs) Even before that, yes, she was doing the social engineering. She had to get over on the security guard. But Elliot is booking it past the front. He's doing hacks downstairs in the security room. He's running up and down between floors. It was very cool. Oh, and I forgot to mention, uh, one of the, I believe I stated that the text messaging, I really enjoyed with it being a quiet episode. But also the scenes where Darlene is talking to the guard and we're seeing it from outside the window so we're not hearing it. I thought that was very well done and very clever. He snuck that in and it fit. But the one segment where I thought it was weird is when the guard hands her the key. I'm like, she didn't even say thank you or anything. Wouldn't you be extra nice to not like make him feel weird? And normally that is Darlene's persona, but she's pretending to be such a nice, personable employee. Hmm. We can see it all over her face, even though we're not hearing her. So I expected like a kind of flirty thank you. Mm -hmm. So maybe they should have shown that scene first from the outside. And you can see her saying thank you. Right. Well, let's hear what the Clatchers had to say about this close race. Melly says, wow, what an amazing episode. It was a complete 180 from last week. While I thought 404 was just an empty style exercise, art for the sake of art, 405 was everything. Artistically savvy, gut-wrenching, and satisfying plot-wise. You know, I was going to say, maybe she hates last episode so much because she hates the woods, but she lives in Canada. Well, no, I I agreed that while it was artsy, it was a little bit of an exercise. We definitely Mm -hmm. slowed the pace down from the central plot. This got us back on track while still doing some fun things. Elliot needed his exercise so that he could run away (laughs) this episode. He's pretty banged up. He's limping by the end. I hope he doesn't have to do anything more physical. Do you think Mr. Robot will be limping when we see him now? If Elliot is Good still limping next question. Episode? And would that say if one of them took over in the moment, one's limping, the other's not? Oh, I wonder. But, okay, let me ask you this. With DID... Yes, you know, granted, that can happen. So if I'm Jason right now and I got hurt and I'm limping, and then my persona is Kirk, uh, I'm not limping? It's incredible. There can be physical changes, different physical diseases, like... One alter has asthma, the other doesn't. One is stronger. Glass. Right. Again, and I hate to go back to it because it's so false in certain cases, but in others, it's correct. They can have different accents, even speak in different languages. You know what? I'm going to uh, create a new persona. It's going to be The Rock, and I'm going to be huge (laughs) when I'm that persona. The Jumanji (laughs) game where you go in and all of a sudden you're The Rock. (laughs) By the way, Jumanji 2 is coming out soon, and that might be our... Please don't plant these ideas. Hold on. That might be our Patreon movie, because we loved Jumanji 1. You loved Jumanji 1. We did. Come on. I thought it was entertaining. It was a little weird. (gasps) It was a little weird. Go back and listen to our review. You had some issues with it, too. Christina, come look at my penis. 
number one was such a classic. There are things about number two that I'm not psyched about. We'll talk about that in a Patreon cast. Here, though, Kirk says, I voted for Darlene for her unconditional love and loyalty to her brother. She might not have moved the story the most, but she moved Elliot forward. So as any math nerd will tell you, by transivity, that means she moved the story as well. And she's not a bad hacker either. Well, she has magic powers? Transivity? Oh, he's... And Kirk's playing with you next. He says, also Jason Price? Really? You might as well have nominated Dom's family dog. <laughs> I really thought Price was cool in this episode. I liked him. How dare you, man? The Price is right. <laughs> he also wants to point out, and we brought this up a long time ago, but it's worth mentioning because the alias thing has come back into play, that Dolores Hayes is the real name of the 12-year-old seductress nicknamed Lolita from that famous story, who gets tangled in a passionate love affair with a middle-aged man. This is the classic novel of the same name, Lolita. So ask Sam Esmel, what up with that? Okay, we've had multiple Clatchers reach out to Sam Esmel. We've reached out to Sam. He's got to know us. He's not By now. Listening. He's got to know about us. we got to face facts. He's not listening. But... It's important to bring up that the alias stuff is becoming more common. And we've seen some of the Sam Sepiol things with Elliot again. Mm -hmm. Those had brought up musings for us about the potential of the other guy being Sam Esmail. This was mentioned on a few other podcasts, but I think it's worth noting we don't hear that many interviews with him. And he recently did one for a podcast called Fresh Air. What the fuck? They went... (laughs) Not really into too much stuff story-wise about Mr. Robot, but a lot of what's underneath the psychology of creating it, the things that inspired or motivated Esmail, some instances he's had throughout his life, the common thread between him and the character being feeling like an outsider, whether that was because he was of Egyptian descent growing up. Primarily, I think it was in New Jersey. He got bullied a lot for that to the point that he wound up legally changing his name to Sam. This is not his birth name. And when the host asked him, he said he doesn't share his real name. So I thought that was interesting. I wonder if he's playing around with some things that are going to come back in later. And does that give the tip off that? It's Vera. His real name is Vera. Sam Sepiel is more important. <laughs> oh, maybe his real name is Sepiel. That's a part of it. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Anyhow, he talks about his brief flirtation with hacking when he's in college when he was in college which we've heard about in the past as well as one of his first jobs editing porn films which was a fun listen so if you want to hear him talk more about that you can check out that podcast great get them listening to other podcasts well it's not it's I'm not a tv review coverage type of cast Oren wrote us to say carly chaikin acted the hell out of this episode Her performance was so good that I didn't realize no words were spoken until the last five minutes of the episode. Also, Darlene is cool as fuck. (laughs) Yeah, she is. Yeah, so we're not the only ones that kind of, we were so enthralled that we didn't realize, oh wait, they haven't been talking. Especially, (laughs) you're right, they could have gone if it was only scenes with Darlene and Elliot. Maybe the whole episode before I realized. For sure. (laughs) And again, if they just had Dom read that text message, that would have been fine. Mm. Travis says, I mean, almost no Mr. Robot, but he was integrated with Darlene. Huh. So aware of where he was, his physicality, his role, and purpose. These two deserve the MVH together, but Elliot was in the rarest of forms. My heart was racing the whole time. Oh, I can kind of see that. So the things that Mr. Robot would normally be doing, Darlene was taking care of. Mm. So he didn't need Mr. Robot in those moments. Very clever, Travis. I I like like that. that. 
Lewis wrote, 100% the MVH goes to Miss Hazel. Big Miss Hayes. Miss Hayes. That's not an L? It's an oh, exclamation. Oh, eyes, babe. Jesus. Big props goes to Elliot's cardio, though. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Jillian says, my first thought was Elliot for being hit by a car and knocked unconscious, then waking up and throwing himself off a railing. But Darlene saved him twice this episode with her signal hack. She's my MBH. <clears throat> she did save him. Yeah, he wouldn't have been able to do this without her. Several but vice times. versa, though. Even just going and picking him up from Pike's Hollow. How is he going to get out of that one? We wondered that at the end of the whole last episode. The Real Angel Q says, My coworker and I binged this show. After season one, I needed a podcast to break down what I watched. I knew I liked it but felt so lost. So I also binged this podcast after every season. Now I'm up to date on both and excited for the final season. Ah, thank you. I'm so glad you found us. That's amazing. Let your friends know about us. We need more peeps. She's also glad this episode connected Dom to Elliot and Darlene saying, I think she has found her escape from the Dark Army. I hope that's true. See, she's with me. That's going to be, they're going to work together. I, Jay, I've been saying that for seasons. But when I say it, it's I'm real. just a little worried of how much Janice has her on the hook at this point. That's true, but it's all going to blow up soon. Speaking of aliases, just another Mike wrote in to say, I know I'm late in sending this. This was after 404. But I was sure someone would point it out. Of course, you may have known or heard. Dom's online playmate shares a screen name with a character in the movie Pump Up the Volume from 1990. Mm. Yep. In the movie, a high school kid broadcasts an underground radio show under the moniker Happy Hard on Harry, who just happens to be played by Christian Slater. Does it mean anything? I think it's just a fun shout out. We mentioned that in times past. It's interesting, though, that these pseudonyms keep coming up more and more often this season. Also, Sebastian says, in one of the scenes where Elliot's running down the street just after he trips over the baby carriage, mercifully full of empty cans, he crosses a big intersection. A silver hatchback stops just short of running him over. Which, by the way, before I go on with his comment, did you happen to see the guy who tried to stop Elliot while he was running? No. From getting away? No. This happened in real life. This was a good Samaritan in New York City who saw this and didn't know it was a film shoot. Oh, my goodness. Really? And tried to stop him from getting away. Oh, my God. I got to watch that again yeah, now. That's pretty amazing. He didn't see the cameras following? I, I don't know. <laughs> the the rigs, poor guy, though. Giant he, rigs following him. He thinks he's doing something good, right? And then they're like, dude. <laughs> but they left it in. Trying to shoot a show here. I guess he must have signed a consent. Anyhow, back to Sebastian's comment. The car that almost ran him over, he says it's fantastic. I drive it every day. It drives with grace and precision and burns no gas whatsoever. It's a Chevy Bolt with a B, a fully electric model that came out in 2017. Um, The show is set in 2015, and the silver color might even be a 2018 edition. So a clue or a tiny detail that slipped by Sam Esmail, who doesn't miss a thing. I really, oh, that's, that's. Very clever. And to be honest with you, I don't know cars very well. Um, well, he has one, so yeah, he knows. That's true. I love the fact that we have Clatchers here to point out the things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's remember that. <laughs> see if that's... Something to keep in mind. Yeah. Julia tweeted at us, at CKC Podcast, I've seen the child at the end of 402 describe several places as young Elliot. But do we know that? Mm. I thought immediately when I saw him, he might be Tyrell's son. What do you think? All right. So there's a few things. During that episode, we had discussed the possibility of it being Elliot, the possibility of it being a twin we don't know about, 
or the possibility that this is all in his brain, so there is no rule there. We actually said we thought it was pretty unlikely that it was Elliot, given how Magda was referring to him, how he referred to Elliot, because Mm -hmm. if it was him, it would be in the third person. Very strange. So we had considered other options, such as Elliot's adopted, and this is her biological son, or it's somebody else. Now, I see where Julia's coming from, because that's where Tyrell sat, Mm -hmm. that same seat. But remember, she said, you're not supposed to sit there. Um, Regardless, if it was Tyrell's son, and let's say it wasn't in Elliot's brain, or inside his brain, this would be years after, because his son is not that big yet. Right. In Mr. Robot Universe, what is it, a year and a half has passed? I believe so. We saw this child as a newborn, as an infant, meaning the most he could be is a year and a half, two years old. That kid... Six, seven? Yeah, significantly older than that. Also, if we're talking in those regards, then uh, that's the future and the mother's already dead. So I really think this is something inside of the brain where she's saying we're still waiting for him because that character we have yet to see. Right. So it's half a flashback. It's half present time. But all that being said, I think it's unlikely it would be Tyrell's son because it's not happening in the real time frame and the age doesn't add up. And I really think it's in his brain because, and it's a foreshadow for us. Mm-hmm. There's another person and we're still waiting for him. It's not time yet. <laughs> okay, we have a bunch of voicemails. We haven't heard them, so we won't give our MVH yet. We might have to trim some of these down for time's sake as well, just so that you're aware. But we thank everyone. We love these. Who has now had the courage to call in. Keep that going. CKC.6606. That's 252-368-6606. Hey, guys. It's Warren here from Sydney. How are you doing? I just finished up episode 405, and man, what an episode that was. Um, firstly, before I get into some of my thoughts and stuff, I just wanted to say how funny it was to hear you guys pronounce Oren and then Warren. Um, I think I'm going to have to remember to try to tweet after him so that happens again. That was hilarious. Uh Anyway, onto the episode, I really, really liked how self-contained this one was. Like, back to the kind of hack and the brother-sister team again, that felt really cool. And I mean, I guess that kind of gets me every time. But yeah, there was just that really cool episode. And then, I mean, overall, you've got Price moving the plot along as well, to some degree. And the whole tuba player thing, that was kind of cool. One of the questions I had, though, was, is Dom finally starting to crack? Um, the whole photo of seeing Darlene and Elliot again and then focusing on that and the scene with her in the car and almost tearing up. Um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe they're starting to push her towards the brother-sister duo there again as well. Um, overall, I thought this episode, the pacing, all those scenes within the hack, they were just intense. I mean, I was white-knuckling the whole way through it. Yeah, really, really cool. But do you think also that maybe Elliot's kind of resigning himself to like the end in in the last episode in 404 we saw that um well he was kind of like giving up and to some degree and then in this one when the, he finally did get hit by that car i'm like oh oh no this is the end but yeah i don't know what did you guys think oh and lastly i guess how good was the music in this one mm-hmm. that was just phenomenal like the whole scene the settings and then that christmas all seemingly through most of it yeah that was awesome um and i guess until next time this round is on me. Yes. <laughs> love it. Love it. First of all, love the accent. The only time I, I hear this accent was UFC. Yes. And I love that the way we say 
Oren and Warren sounds <laughs> exactly the same. That's true. <laughs> the question about Elliot giving up is a really great thought to ponder. I think what pushes him forward in both 404 and 405 is simply Darlene. The reason he wants to keep walking and try to get to the town is he knows he hasn't done right by her lately and maybe he can give her enough chance to escape. Same thing here in 405. He runs out in front of those cops, probably believing he's going to get caught, but he'll give her enough time. Yes. He's resigned if it's the end for him, but he's not going to give up for her. So unless something happens to take her off the board, I think he's going to keep going no matter what. It's a great question. By the way, the UFC character I was talking about, Robert Whitaker. Oh, okay. Yeah. So thank you, Warren. <laughs> I'm trying to enunciate. I love your questions and keep the voicemails coming. Hello, Coffee Clatchers. My name is my project expert and a great fan of Mr. Robot Podcast. Great content, analysis, theories, facts. Keep it up. Here are a few points. Each season, Sam Ismo brings points many uh, computer protection concepts and, and then the security vulnerabilities to break them. In this season, he brings out the Deus group. They are very similar to the Bilderberg meetings. It sounds like Build-A-Bear, but it's really spelled B-I-L-D-E-R-B-E-R-G. <laughs> Read about it on Wiki and tell me what you think in one of your podcasts. Uh, I also agree about the quantum computer that was mentioned. However, the quantum computer is very, um, it's mostly theory. I know there's a lot of hype about how it will work, but so much of it's based on time, and time is a concept and doesn't really exist, so I don't think it'll work. It's wibbly-wobbly. And then final note about the Q fobs. Basically, they've gone away. Most companies use them. But most companies have their users just put an app on their phone. Uh, nobody wants go. to carry a fob and a, a phone, so they you know, just do away with the fob. If you really don't like having a fob or really don't like having it on your phone, they'll send you a fob. Anyway... Keep it up. Thanks. Bye-bye. We got another accent. I love it. Yeah. Maybe this is a rule now. You need to call in with a cool other accent <laughs> besides our own boring ones. And I wasn't aware of this. Great pointing out the Bilderberg meetings started in 1954. Every year, approximately 130 political leaders and experts from industry, finance, labor, academia, and media are invited to take part in the meeting. They come from both... Europe and North America. It's a forum for informal discussions about major issues. And for the participants, neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speaker is revealed. So it's a very private nature. And basically, it was originally invented to try to prevent another world war, is now tackling multiple interests around the globe. As Esmail does take a lot of these things from real life, I think it's likely he could be basing it off that. For sure. I mean, create off of what you know, right? And I, and I really appreciate the more detailed information about key fobs. And I did, I kind of mentioned, and this was a, just a, th a guess on my part, that maybe we don't need key fobs anymore because we have phones. It's essentially smarter and better than a key fob. Mm. So thank you so much for your call. That another set of great questions and information. I love our Clatchers. Guys, I'm just catching up on your show. Um, actually, I'm, I'm catching up on the Patreon shows. I'm caught up with your Mr. Robot cast, and last episode was insane, and it's really interesting. I, I think that's probably one of the best episodes since the building episode, the, the one-shot episode yes. since last season, mm. but this episode really felt like it belonged in season one. 
like it, it really went back to like the old school season one days of just them hacking the shit out of something and then almost getting caught. Like it was, it was more about hacking back then. It's really hard to explain Mr. Robot to someone that's never seen it because it's about hacking, but uh, it's like a bunch of shit that we don't really know. We don't know what the fuck is going on. Somebody um, swears, dude. So yeah, I just want to say that episode was the, the best of season so far. Them. Um, I read some cool stuff on Twitter about how people that, that are deaf really enjoyed the episode because they didn't have to read any captions or really, like, you know, they, they, they watched the whole show like, like the rest of us, and, and they were really, uh, really happy about it that they did that episode like that. So, yeah, it was a really, really dope episode. But, yeah, just wanted to set us up. Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. Take it. Louis, one of our longtime clatchers, thank you so much for calling. And we're, obviously, we're just kidding about the swearing. No, it's funny because our transcript is actually censoring the curse yeah. words when it's typing it out. S, star, star, star. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so and funny. also, it, just keep in mind that ESPN owns us now, so you can't swear. That nah, no. Just kidding. With Christina as one of your hosts, that is patently false and could never happen. Hello, friend. What up, CKC? <laughs> <laughs> Man, your other... Elder Millennial again. Hope you guys are having a good week. Bit rainy here. Man, <laughs> that episode was amazing. Might be my favorite. I loved the whole thing. To confess to you guys, I'm extremely embarrassed because I watched the entire thing twice, soaking it all in, and I did not even realize that nobody talked except for the very beginning. That's amazing. Uh, like, we don't have to talk, and then Vera then is like, uh, time to talk, right? And I-, I think that means that Sam did a pretty good job. Yeah, I actually think that's amazing. You were so enthralled in the action, you didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. And didn't even know that until I listened to that Bald News podcast. I mentioned that. I was like, oh. Hold on, wait. <laughs> you, you listen to other podcasts, I think. Well, you know what, dude? We're blocking you. You've been canceled. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How could I not have noticed that? But, um, which makes it even cooler. It also makes it a little weird, because there were definitely times where like security guard. But uh, anyway, anyway, SNL is doing a great job. He's re- even though he's restricting himself with these error codes and with the sound episode and all that. And I mean, I didn't notice. I'm probably one of the very few people who didn't notice. Um, wondering, because there was a lot of texting, and I do a lot of texting throughout the day. I'm dealing with things. And also, Elliot isn't much of a talker, so it didn't seem that weird to me. Maybe that's why. Anyway... I'm sure you guys knew that off that, but I was just thinking about Vera, and I think by the end of this show, we're going to be like, oh, well, obviously Vera is an enormous part of the show and an extremely important character, which um, that's my prediction, that he's uh, going to be a huge player in the, in the story. It kind of makes sense so far with all of his little things going on uh, this season especially. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember what exactly this hack was all about. I was just so in it. Like, the the music and it was just perfect. The sound design. And I love the zoom out over New York City shot. Yes, that's what Close I said. zoom, we see the cops who run after Elliot. And the way it was just, the cinematography is amazing in the show. And I just, it was a wild ride, which is kind of needed after last two, which are slower, which I loved anyway, but some people didn't, which is fine. But uh, this was just perfect. So anyway... Hope your recording goes well. Peace out. This round is on me. First off, I have to say, I always love when E-Man calls in, but did he get a new phone? 
the it sound so is much amazing. Clearer. It's yes. so, whatever you're doing, dude, it's so much clearer. Do that again. Whatever you did this time, do it again. Um, okay, so the Vera thing. The back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, if he's coming in such a slow burn, maybe it's a wick that by the end it'll explode and we'll be like, holy schnizes. Well, we've kind of wondered about that. I do think what you said before is right on point. Now that we're starting to spot it more often, it appears as though there are things that were initially meant to be season four, season five, and some of the weirdness is perhaps the rolling it all into one, but I don't think the character's going to be there without some huge payoff. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of callbacks, and we're not even getting into Easter eggs and tons of other things to season one, as Lewis mentioned. We said right off the bat, it feels like a return to form. And if you go on to Reddit, there's all of these great things about how things are coming back around full circle, including some of the stuff that's happening episode per episode. So I have no doubt that this is going to be exciting once we get to it. I'm just eager to get to it. And he's right on par with our thoughts. So, um, of course, you probably know by the end of this podcast that this episode was about gaining access into the Cyprus National Bank so that they can, uh, well, at least get rid of the finances that White Rose has. Yeah, we're not entirely sure yet. I'm hoping we'll see that next time. Jason, we've had a lot of comments. Thank you again to everyone. We have another voicemail, but that's a Patreon one. So we're going to save that. But all of that brings us back around full circle that we did not yet give our MVH for the episode. I'm assuming it's going to come down to Elliot and Darlene. Who are you giving it to? I got to go Elliot. My favorite scenes were Elliot running from the police. He sacrificed himself, but still tried to get away. But he was willing to sacrifice himself in order to let Darlene get out of there. This is the first one I felt really torn on all season. There are points where Darlene absolutely deserves it, saving him from the side of the road with the van, helping him to pull off this entire hack, helping him to get away, which he wouldn't have without her there. And yet, as we mentioned before, both the hacking stuff required as well as the sheer physicality on top of Rami Malek's amazing performances as ever. I feel like I come exactly where the poll is. Like Darlene loses out by maybe 1%. (laughs) I too am going to have to give it to Elliot, keeping up our run of voting the same and voting in line with the polls. But Darlene kicked ass and she really was thinking on her feet. The thought of the fitness club being right next door within the same building. (laughs) Just so clever. But maybe, you know, it's time to get rid of that car. Well, I know we are running long, but we are almost at the end here. We just have our closer look and our spoiler section. Now, before we go into that, we talk about it every episode because it means so much to us and it is our lifeline. It is our Cyprus National Bank. We cannot get anything into the Congo, aka we cannot continue to provide these podcasts without our Patreon members. So if you love what we're doing, if you love what we're putting into this podcast, you want more of it. We have over three and a half days worth of content available to you via Patreon. So just go to coffeeclasscrew.com, click on Patreon, look at the tiers. For less than the price of one coffee at Starbucks, you can get access to our Coffee Break episodes. Word of the month, fun facts, brief synopsis of what else we're watching that's out there besides what we're doing full reviews on in these podcasts. It is a truly amazing community and a testament to you guys. But we also have bonus casts on tons of fun topics. One just recently submitted by a Clatcher, we did all about dreams. And finally, we have our movie review casts where we last covered El Camino. And spoiler, 
I believe for this upcoming month of November, it will be Dr. Sleep. But in addition to Patreon, the other way that you guys always help us out is by leaving reviews. Stars are great. Reviews are even better. This helps people to keep finding us. And in just this past week, we want to give a huge shout out to Elsie Harpist, No Clever Nicknames, AZGTROS2K, and Angry Coffee Man for your amazing five-star reviews. I am not going to read them all out, but Jason, one you haven't even seen yet, particularly tickles me. He says our personalities are perfect for podcasting. Sometimes Jason can be a little too hard and Christina a little too soft, but they balance each other out in the best way possible. Angry Coffee Man, I think this is the first time I was referred to as not the hard one. Yeah, I thought I was the soft one. Who comes down to abrasive or gets angry with shows. (laughs) So I am loving this because I will probably never be called the soft one again. Thank you. I always get yelled at by Christina like... (laughs) You just told me you didn't like it. Now we're podcasting and you magically like it. So that's amazing. We read all of your reviews and it means so much to us. It touches us at our Build-A-Bear heart. (laughs) (laughs) And we appreciate it so much. It is the fuel that keeps us going. We had mentioned before that there were two things brought up in the episode we didn't dive deeper into. The name of the restaurant, Brentano, is most likely a reference to Franz Brentano, the German philosopher and psychologist that influenced Freud, among many others. We just had a whole conversation about Freud in our Bonus Dreams podcast. Franz theorized that there were two types of perception in the way we experience the world. Internal perception, which is no indication of reality. In fact, the world could be an illusion for all we know. He gives the example, when I hear a tone, I cannot be completely sure there is a tone in the real world, but I am absolutely certain that I do hear. In other words, all we can know with perfect certainty is what we're interpreting. Mm. I hear that sound. How do I know that sound actually exists outside of me in the real world? Well, that sounds very matrixy. Remember the whole speech, this tastes like chicken, only because I've been told that this tastes like chicken. But is it chicken? How do I know what reality is? Who says? There is external perception or sensory perception, but it can only yield hypotheses about the perceived world, not truth. Who knows where that's going? What I found intriguing is that we also have a reference to Parmenides, a pre-Socratic Greek philosopher. As the first to inquire into the nature of existence itself, he's credited as the father of metaphysics. He argued that reality is in some sense a unified and unchanging singular entity. He will also argue that there are two ways of understanding things, understanding the world. He wrote the famous On Nature, which is an extended poem that has three main sections. The prelude or introduction that tells us about a young man who's on a cosmic, perhaps spiritual journey in search of enlightenment. And then Reality and Opinion, where he prescribes these two views. In reality, the central philosophical section, he describes the way of truth, the first one, how all reality is this one thing, change is impossible, and existence is timeless, uniform, and necessary. The next, opinion, explains the world of appearances, in which one's sensory faculties lead to conceptions that are false and deceitful. 
kind of like our internal perceptions. How do we know what they mean? The phenomena of movement and change are simply appearances of a changeless, eternal reality. So not only like with Brantano where we could be getting it wrong, there's no way to know what the truth is. Mm. Parmenides says we are getting it wrong because there is no change. There aren't these things that we perceive to be. The universe is this one singular, timeless, unchanging entity, maybe even a singularity, if you will. I don't think it's a mistake that we're bringing up both of these individuals in the same episode. How does it relate to the greater Mr. Robot universe? I've been dragged down these robot holes before. I don't know how it's all going to tie in, but we've talked about French existentialists, philosophers, psychologists. Sam Esmail loves to sprinkle it in. Hate on me if you want. I can't stop following these trains. I find it a lot of fun. So to our Clatchers, how do you think these two takes on perception could tie into the storyline? Feel free to write in and let us know, and we will read it on the next podcast. Well, that only leaves us with our synopsis for the next episode, so if you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time for 406. For those of you still here, we know that 406 is titled Not Acceptable, where the requested resource is capable of generating only content not acceptable according to the accept headers sent in the request. The synopsis tells us Vera tells a tale, Darlene gets a Christmas surprise, Elliot goes rogue. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vera tells a tale. I don't know what that means. It seems like he's torturing Krista in the preview. Oh, okay. But so let me tell you a story. Yeah. Right? Maybe philosophizing the way he did before he shot his last dude. He might Vera us off the main storyline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Darlene's Christmas surprise, we do see her confronting Darlene. So we have to assume this is where they link up in one way or another. And Robot tells Elliot what he's about to do is crossing a line. Mr. Robot is back. He's returning here to bring forth that moral standpoint. Elliot, you've been pushing it all season and you're about to walk over that line finally. Mm. We also see White Rose standing in front of a board with what seems to be a probability drawing in the Yeah, background. we paused it and it looks, yes. So that reminds me of the, the science behind these computers that we've been talking about and our clashes have been talking about. And um, it looks like <laughs> we have parallel lines, we have sequential lines and things varying off. And these are the best times, like arrows. So if that's a time frame, these are the best times to jump or to pull in time, maybe. Or it's showing the multitude of things that could happen. Like these are all of the options. Or multi-universes. If you play this same situation out over and over and over again, Mm. and the probability of certain ones being greater or greater at certain times. If you go back to the idea of Elliot being in a simulation this episode, maybe it's not a virtual reality simulation. It's something that's actually played out in time or she uses VR to guesstimate the probabilities. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I was thinking... um, If we're talking about alternate timelines, like we've talked about in the past, and White Rose is trying to find her loved one in alternate timelines, what's the probability that she picks the right one who loved her as well? Mm. The probability of those, you know, because what if you pick out that person and that's a timeline where they never met or something, Mm, you know, and then you'd be like, shit. (laughs) But if she is running these simulations... She has this supercomputer or a way to generate a virtual reality system that can play out all possibilities. 
and figure out what's most likely at a given time, then she needs to act on that exactly mm. according to a time frame. Because if it's not within that, maybe the probability decreases. So when we first met White Rose and she was so adamant about time, that's because she had to get this information into Elliot's head the first time they meet within this time frame for the most possible outcome. Right, or to enact that decision. If I wait 30 more seconds and enact a decision, maybe the outcome is different. The probability is less. Mm. Wow, it's all starting to make sense, even though we might be way off. It's a cool thought, right? But that's what's fun about it. One more quick thing. Next week's episode will still be Sunday, but 8 o'clock p.m. Thank goodness. Listen, I'm getting old. I have so much going on in life. We, have, we both have four jobs each. And, Clatchers, um, I don't think this will impact you guys because I'm going to bust my ass to make this work, but I have to do my civil duty and I have to go to... Jury duty. And we can't say anything more about that, but... Uh, one thing I can say, it's it may be two months long. Yeah, I, I feel terrible for you on that point. God was like, hey, you look really busy, but not busy enough. <laughs> Two-month jury, <laughs> jury duty. Good luck. <laughs> I'm definitely going to get spoiled with this. This is a preferable time frame for me. It will just be for next week because of the People's Choice Awards. So far as we know, after that, we will be returning to the normal time frame. But just in case you watch live, make sure you remember that we will have that two-hour time change. And again, we're still going to release on Fridays, but it might be later just because I'll be in court and I can't uh, edit. I can't edit during lunch really? like normally. You can't during the middle of the court proceedings like, pull out your laptop. Guys, can we pause? I got I really I, <laughs> We got a lot of editing to do. <laughs> oh. This has been a great ride. We look forward to seeing you next week for 406. Till next time. This round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.